Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello, America. It is Eric Erickson here across the nation. Glad to have you with me. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be on the program, uh, really glad to have you. Now, uh, we've got to move on to... Sadly, the economic news of the day, which is uh, exceedingly frustrating in large part because um, consumers, I, I guess we could say, are, are expecting uh, an economic downturn. And who can really blame them uh, given what we're seeing across the nation economically? Um, there are more and more signs that even though the government appears to be um, encouraged by what's going on. They, they don't necessarily, oh, I don't know. Um, they don't want to, they don't want to ring alarm bells, but consumers themselves are kind of getting tipped off. Now I'll deal with this personally. I've got a credit card debt. I've got uh, more credit card debt than I should have, frankly. And we're working to pay it off. I have a credit card. I pay it off every month. Uh, But I've got one where uh, essentially because as I was growing my syndicated show, things were, uh, there were things I had to buy and I did not have the revenue stream with the company to be able to buy them as I was growing it. I put it on my personal credit card and I've got um, a large balance uh, on this credit card and it is, I'm slow to pay it off. I'm, paying it off a little bit every month. And I'm more and more mindful that I need to get all of my debt paid off as quickly as I can because I just have this paranoid sense, and it is paranoid, uh, and I admit that, but the the paranoia is grounded in reality that something wicked this way comes in terms of the economy. The, The sooner you and I pay off debts, that we have the better. Uh, the more we embrace the Dave Ramsey model or some such, uh, it works. Now, Dave Ramsey doesn't quite work for me because I actually am in a business where, I mean, I literally do have to have a credit card. Um, debit cards don't work in certain situ- situations. And, and Dave Ramsey, of course, is very anti-credit card. And I get, I totally get that. And for a great many people, I think that that's uh, a, a good way to look at it. And for a lot of people, you can get prepaid credit cards where it's tied into your bank account so you don't burn it up. Uh, I actually feel like I needed to, and I'm suffering the hit. Uh, maybe one day I'll win the lottery and I can pay off all my debt real quick, but until then, it's hard work. will see me through. But I got credit card debt. And most of you listening, not all of you, but most of you listening have credit card debt too. Interest rates are going up, which means the credit card debt costs, the the service of that debt is becoming more expensive. And now the Wall Street Journal reports the engine of the American economy, consumer spending, is beginning to sputter. Retail purchases have fallen in three of the past four months. Spending on services, including rent, haircuts, and the bulk of bills was flat in December. After adjusting for inflation, the worst monthly reading in nearly a year. Sales of existing homes in the U.S. fell last year to their lowest level since 2014 as mortgage rates rose. 
The auto industry posted its worst sales year in more than a decade. It's a stark turnaround from the second half of 2020 when Americans lifted the economy out of a pandemic downturn, helping the U.S. avoid what many economists worried would be a prolonged slump. Consumers snapped up exercise bikes, televisions, and laptop computers for school children during lockdowns. When restrictions were lifted, they rushed back to their favorite restaurants and travel destinations. And they kept spending. Helped by government stimulus, flush savings accounts, and cheap credit, even as inflation picked up. Faced with four-decade-high inflation last year, Americans outspent inflation. But the share of monthly income Americans set aside for savings was 3.4% in December, down from 7.5% a year earlier. Credit card interest rates are rising. Federal Reserve officials have signaled they plan another quarter percent point increase to the benchmark rate this week. That would bring the rate to between 4.5 and 4.75% from near zero at the start of last year. Annual inflation remains above 5%. Consumer spending accounts for roughly 70% of the economy. A downshifting consumer is a key reason that businesses and economists predict a recession in the next 12 months. Let me break all of this down for you. The law of gravity. Isaac Newton under that apple tree, the apple fell and he began to ponder. What goes up must come down. It's not over the long term true for the stock market. The stock market since uh, the the Great Depression in 1929 is, is up. You put money in a decade ago into stocks, good stable stocks, you've made money. There was a period in the late 1960s through the entirety of the 70s where if you put money in the stock market in 1968 and you pulled it out in 1982, you put it on the Dow Jones, you'd have exactly the same amount of money. You put in 10000 you take out $10,000 and 12 years later. The great stagnation. There are some economists out there who believe we're headed not for a recession but a depression. There's a difference, though. Now, you should understand their argument. Their argument is is a legitimate argument that there's a massive amount of debt right now. There is a massive, massive pile of debt uh, in the whole world, not just the United States, the entire world. Countries themselves are heavily indebted to each other. Countries are indebted to each other. They are indebted to bondholders of their bonds. The United States is spending more than its gross domestic product. We have this massive debt that exceeds our gross domestic product. Inflation is on the rise, causing interest rates to go up, causing the service payments on debt to go up. It's a sick cycle. The thing that's different now from then is all of that existed before the Bretton Wood uh, agreement before fiat money, before countries got together and set a standard that wasn't based on gold or silver or anything else. It was based on the demands of, of, of countries to move forward. We had more depression and economic turmoil when we were tied to a gold standard. People who like the gold standard don't like that and argue with it, but we've actually had a more stable economic currency situation since the post-World War II realignment of values and currencies 
but there are things working in the system that, like a game of Jenga, we have different little layers being pulled out and could bring the whole thing down. One of those is the entire post-World War II system was premised on the stability of the American dollar. The American dollar has been the gold standard for the world. China is seeking to undermine that. Now, I want to be clear here in a macroeconomic scheme of things in a global situation, there's nothing wrong with China trying to become a dominant world power, trying to subvert the American dollar as the world's currency reserve. One, I don't think it'll work because the Chinese are a communist system and communist systems economically tend to breed distrust over time. Also, it may be in China's best interest to do that, and that's fine, but the Chinese economic situation is deteriorating more than we know. Remember, it is well known the Chinese rig their accounts. It is well known the Chinese cover things up in a way that the United States doesn't cover up. You, you may not, you may disagree with things within the United States. You may disagree with uh, the, the world order of the United States, but we don't go out of our way to lie and cook the books. Some of you say we do. We might, but it's not as patent as what China does if it, if it happens. If China is able to offset the United States, see, we, we haven't lived in a world where there's been a reserve currency other than the United States. Those competing reserves currencies could spark some other level of economic instability in the world. And it's unforeseeable. We're, we're in uncharted water with this. The theories of economics tend to break down when there's never been empirical study of what would happen. And we're in the fiat currency standard. We've got well, one reserve currency. Suddenly we have two reserve currencies. One is based on an unstable, unstable communist state with uh, serious macroeconomic problems under the surface that they've tried to cover up. These are dangerous times. So intuitively... I think people kind of understand there are problems. And the American consumer, I say all the time and I stand by it, people are stupid. But the American consumer tends to be fairly intuitive. And in being fairly intuitive, they tend to understand we gotta we gotta get ourselves out of debt as best we can. We gotta start paying stuff off instead of spending money. We now need to reprioritize paying debt because everybody has the sense that that something bad is coming. We have relatively low unemployment, but we have a massive number of people who have dropped out of the workforce. So though companies are laying off people in the tech sector and other sectors, they can't find people to come to work. You've got essentially a full employment situation, even as you've got fewer people out there working than we've had in American history since World War II. These are deeply uncharted, unstable times. You have inflation on the rise still. Oh, it may be lower than it was, but it's still too high. You have American spending that was outpacing inflation now settling back because American saving reserves are wiped out. This story for the Wall Street Journal. Recent layoff trends worry Benjamin DeLong, a 32-year-old customer account manager at an industrial manufacturer in southern Minnesota. His savings rose to $3,700 during the pandemic, thanks in part to government stimulus. He's now down to three cents. 
He said he had to dip into savings to cover the rising cost of groceries, utilities, and car insurance. He found some relief in his grocery bill since he and his partner decided last year to purchase some pigs jointly with other families to be raised on a relative's farm. Their portion of meat yielded nearly 150 pounds, saving them $500 on groceries. By the way, this is a trend I know more and more people doing. They're out there buying cows. I have a buddy of mine last week sent me a picture. He bought half of a cow. Literally bought half of a cow. And the food was butchered and vacuum sealed and frozen and sent to him. And he's got, I mean, he's got ribs. He's got roast. He's got ground meat. He's got all the stuff from this cow. And he said he did the math. It actually saved him money to buy half the cow, have the butcher butcher it and send it to him. It still was cheaper than the grocery store. People are finding unique ways to save money. Unemployment is 3.5%, the lowest it has been in generations. But there are 10.5 million unfilled jobs. There are a lot of retirees who went off and fully retired. Now they're struggling with inflation. You have the economy wobbling. And unfortunately, we have a government in Washington, D.C. that can't really prioritize the needs of the average ordinary Americans. They're so busy picking winners and losers based on who gave them money and who didn't, who's on the right side of the White House and not, that they can't just steer a path forward for the American public. they got to game the system to make it advantageous for Joe Biden with the electorate as opposed to just enacting good policy. We are governed by a bunch of octogenarian clowns as opposed to serious people in serious times. And the American consumer realizes this enough, though people are stupid, consumers are pretty good with a buck. And they're taking steps themselves to save themselves because more and more people realize when the bad times come, Uncle Sam is not going to be there to help you because Uncle Sam can't help himself. And the sooner you realize you must prioritize taking care of your immediate family, your extended family, and your friends instead of having them rely on Washington, the better off you are going to be. By the way, if you're in charge of a church, probably a good time to start exploring how you can help your community financially, how you can help your members, what you can do to prepare for the hard times coming for your congregation. The weather outside might be frightful, but in your bed, you've got super soft bowl and branch sheets to sleep under. They'll keep you comfortable. They're just the perfect weight. Summer, winter, fall, spring, the perfect weight, and they get softer every wash. And right now, with the weather so cold outside, you want to just be snuggled up inside. They're the perfect sheets under which you and your loved one can snuggle. And right now, you can get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC at BowlinBranch.com. That's BowlinBranch, B-O-L-L. A-N-D-Branch.com. The promo code is Eric, E-R-I-C-K. Bullet Branch sheets are the perfect 100% organic cotton threads that get softer every wash. Not only do they get softer every wash, but they the drape across your body is just perfect. I really enjoy mine. We've got them now on multiple beds in the house. We've just kept buying them because they're so soft. And every wash, they get softer. And right now, get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use promo code ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, at BolandBranch.com. That's BolandBranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch.com. The promo code ERIC. While we were in commercial break... Uh, I just saw a tweet come forward from uh, Capital Economics. It is a 
business newsletter that's out there. And it um, this is their tweet. Our tracking models now suggest the economy is more likely than not to be in a recession in three months' time, supporting the message from the latest surveys and hard economic data that GDP is likely to contract in the first quarter. So what is the first quarter? First quarter is January, February, March. Uh, the last quarter of 2022 showed uh, the economy actually growing at 2.9%, which was higher. Economists expected a growth of 2.8%. Those numbers oftentimes are revised, sometimes down. So uh, the government may come back and say, actually, upon further review, it was 2%, which is lower than economists expected. Then... You have this first quarter where consumer spending appears to have already slowed down. Like measurably this month, consumer spending appears to have slowed down. So you have consumer spending has slowed down already. And you have another quarter. So you have the first quarter, January, February, March, April, May, June, the second quarter. Uh, that's if to get into a recession, you're going to have two quarters of negative economic growth across the economy. So there you have an actual uh, real recession headed into the third quarter, as a lot of economists predicted. And as this White House itself, interestingly enough, curiously enough, now says, nah, it's, that's not going to happen. We're, we're not actually going to have this recession. It looks like we are going to have this recessionary event. And if we are having this recessionary event, uh, it is not good for Joe Biden's reelection as he heads into a reelection campaign for 2024. It's also, here's the thing, it's the Democrats will try. They will try to blame Republicans for an economic downturn. They will say for some reason it was the House Republicans. But if Congress has done nothing, which Congress is wont to do, nothing, then it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter because it'll be a hard time blaming people who did nothing for causing an economic meltdown. They will, of course, fight it over the debt ceiling and claim raising the debt ceiling or spending cuts or some such from Washington has something to do with it. And I don't know that most people will buy into that. Now, a programming note. Um, it looks like, is it now, Charlie, the this hour, uh, the governor of the state of Georgia is going to be joining me. Uh, I thought it was going to be Thursday. Looks like it is going to be. Um, looks like it's going to be um, the bottom of this hour. Uh, so Brian Kemp, the governor of the state of Georgia, will be with me to talk about his trip to Davos. Uh, I actually want to talk to him about some of the economic reforms going on in Georgia. Some of the uh, battery-powered car initiatives in the state of Georgia as we move forward. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Uh, I think the governor of Georgia, if I understood right, is going to be joining me shortly. Um, before I get there, um, a little other news that we've got out there. I mentioned this earlier, and there's actually a news story that I saw this. Uh, the Republicans are considering uh, requiring some small dollar donor registration requirements to be on stage at the Republican debates for 2024, which is actually a good idea, I think. So the Democrats in 2020 
in order to kind of limit their debate presence, keep in mind, a lot of people saw what un- unfurled for the Republicans in 2016, irrespective of Donald Trump. This was a problem even before Trump got into the race in 2016. There were so many people who ran in 2016. Um, there were just, it, it was a ton of people. I think 17 candidates. So you had Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, Ben Carson, Jeb Bush, Rand Paul, Mike Huckabee, Carly Fiorina, Chris Christie, Jim Gilmore, Rick Santorum. Um, Before the primaries, you also had George Pataki, Lindsey Graham, Bobby Jindal, Scott Walker, Rick Perry. There were a lot of candidates. And it became one of those situations where the media had to figure out how to accommodate those people so that they could all get airtime. And you had like the kids debate. Remember that you had two debates back to back. And so you'd have the, the people who weren't polling as well as, as the ones and and the Democrats foresaw 2020 being a similar situation. And in so being that similar situation, the Democrats decided, you know what, we're going to put grassroots dollar requirements on our candidates. So to be on stage, you're going to have to have X number of grassroots activists uh, who have donated to your campaign. And if you have that, you can get on stage and it helped limit who could be on the debate stage. Now, some people cried unfairness about this. But the reality of the situation is it made what could have been another chaotic presidential cycle with a massive field of candidates actually made it uh, better for people because they could see the candidates on stage who had grassroots support. I mean, it is one thing for you to have the billionaire support. If you got billionaires and you got the support of billionaires, uh, you can get your message out easier than if you're having to scramble for small dollar donors because the billionaires can write you a big check up front. And once that big check is written up front, you're good to go. But A billionaire is a single vote. And billionaires oftentimes don't necessarily back the best people. The number of billionaires who have wasted money in politics. In fact, you know, I've mentioned this before, and I I should clarify because some people thought I was suggesting I was getting paid or something. I've been asked uh, in March to go out to a meeting out west to talk to some of the large dollar donors of the GOP, the millionaires and billionaires, uh, to talk to them about the lay of the land. Now, I'm not getting paid to do this. Uh, in fact, I, I turned down uh, a lot of this stuff. I, it, my, my, my view of things, and maybe I'm a bad businessman and could be wealthier uh, if I didn't do this, uh, but my view of things in all seriousness is uh, this is my job. My job is to be here to relay a sense of what's going on in the world to you to not necessarily on a daily basis talk about the things I want to talk about, but to talk about the actual news of the day and to provide you as much analysis of the news of the day as I possibly can uh, so that you have a sense of what's going on in the world so you're smarter than your neighbors. And I don't think I can be genuine and honest with you if I am um, if I am on someone's payroll or I'm getting paid as a consultant for someone else. Uh, it's like, you know, so there's this thing in radio. And by the way, I, my mis- misunderstanding what was happening here, um, Governor Kemp is going to join me on Thursday at 2.30, not now. Um, I got my wires crossed. Sorry about that. 
But so there's this thing in radio called Plugola and Payola. Back in the day, do you know how people would get music on radio back in the day? Uh, they would bribe the DJ, and it still has gone on, by the way. You bribe the DJ, and the DJ plays your records. You bribe enough DJs, they play enough records, you get a number one hit through bribery, not because the public's listening, but because the DJs are playing the music. So years ago, Congress came up with this thing, or the FCC came up with this thing called Plugola Payola. If you plug something on the air and you're getting benefit for plugging it on the air, you've got to disclose that. If you are getting paid and you're talking about something on air because you're getting paid, you've got to disclose that. If you have a business interest, if I'm, for example, if I'm a part owner in a restaurant and I talk about the restaurant all the time, I got to disclose to you that, well, I've got a financial interest in this. And I know to this day there are people who do that. Now, I'll, I'll give you a personal example. I mentioned uh, Georgia Spa Company on the radio. So when we go to Hilton Head uh, and we go for spring break, usually my favorite thing to do is sit in a hot tub late at night by myself, uh, relaxing, looking at the stars. I love to do that. And I've been thinking of getting one. And there's a company in Georgia called Georgia Spa Company. And Neil Bortz, who was on the radio here, was an endorser for him. And they seem like a reasonable place to go get a spa. Well, now they want to do an ad deal. So if if I talked to you about Georgia Spa, uh, I, I mentioned I was thinking of getting a hot tub. I'm thinking of going, and they reached out. And they said, well, why don't you be our endorser on air? So it looks like we're going to do that. But I'll you'll know. But then there's the other company, Rectech, uh, which I would love to have as an advertiser on the show, and I talk about my Rectech all the time. I don't get paid to do that. Um, I just love it, um, and I feel like I can be more honest with you talking about the products I like as opposed to someone sliding money under the table for me to do it. And I know there are hosts who do that, who, who they take money on the side and they never disclose it, which to me seems very unethical. All of that to say that uh, I am going to speak to the millionaires and billionaires. And the reason they've asked me to come speak to them and give them my genuine lay of the land is because I don't have a dog in the fight. Now, I know some of you are like, well, you hate Trump. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a Trump fan. I, I think it's time to move on from Trump. And they know that, too. They know that bias going in. But I can still be objective. I know people treat objectivity as a dirty word these days. I, I spent time in the last hour talking about that reporter who thinks that the media shouldn't be objective. I personally think I should be as objective as possible. Whether it works against me or not, whether it works for me or not, I should be able to tell you what I actually do think is happening objectively and then tell you what I think about it based on my biases of how I see it. But with, for example, the presidential landscape, I think it's a good thing if the GOP ties small dollar donors to the candidates. Let's say, for example, let, let's let, um, I'm going to go with uh, Rick Perry. Longest serving governor of Texas. He was the energy secretary for Donald Trump. I'm going to go with Rick Perry because he's not going to run. He ran twice, supported him. I love Rick Perry. He's not just a politician I like. He and his wife are good friends. Great prayer warrior for my wife. Uh, dearly, dearly, dearly love that man. He's not running for president this time, so I'm going to use him as an example. If all the billionaires come out tomorrow, if if uh, all of the, the major billionaires, if uh, Miriam Adelson comes out and decides that she's going to go for uh, Rick Perry, if Ken Griffin comes out and decides he's going to go for Rick Perry, if uh, Dick Uline comes out and says he's going to go for Rick Perry, if 
the Ricketts family comes out, those are, are some of the top donors to the GOP. If they all came out and they said, we're going to go for Rick Perry tomorrow, well, uh, he would have an impressive amount of money to be able, through a leadership pack that he is indirectly tied to, advance his campaign and woo people to, to vote for him. But at the end of the day, that's that's five people. That's five votes, and they're spread out nationwide. So why should he be on stage when he's got a billion dollars from multiple billionaires versus, let's say, uh, a, a Nikki Haley, who doesn't have as much money but has 100,000 small-dollar donors who have given her uh, 100 bucks each. She's got more votes than him. And so why should he get precedence on a debate stage when he has five supporters when she's got uh, 100,000 supporters giving her money? That, to me, makes rational sense because if we want to whittle the Republican Party down, not to the people who have wooed the billionaires, but to the people who have wooed the largest possible number of voters, those are the people we should want to hear from. And so the, the moneyed interests, I think, can, can kind of uh, mess with things. And then that's one of the, the messages I want to convey to these people when I talk to them is that your money can elevate a candidate who's garbage, and sometimes you do that because the people who advise these people have vested interests. The people who advise these people have friendships, and so they steer and try to help friends, and it's your scratch my back, I'll scratch your back sort of thing, and and they get played sometimes, and they know it, and I think that's one of the reasons. I think, I don't know, but I think that's one of the reasons they've asked me to come talk to them is because I, I, I don't care. I don't like, I don't like any of the people. I, I, I don't, I, I don't care who the nominee is. Um, I, I can see how it's shaping. I'm friends with a number of them. Um, I, I, I want to win is what I want to do. And, and I'd like to help them, uh, not be taken advantage of and fund candidates who in doing so can cause the GOP problems. I do. It is my bias. It is my belief. I am upfront with everyone. I do think that Trump would have a harder time in 2024 than he or his supporters think, given the dynamics of the landscape in America today, and that someone other than him would be better. And I will admit this going into him. And a couple of them are very pro-Trump, and they will push back on me, and we will have that discussion. But I should at least be mindful of my biases and also try to help these people not be taken advantage of by hidden agendas. And to the extent the RNC ties access to the debate stage to small-dollar donors and the number of small-dollar donors that someone has, I think they should do this because it provides a more representative picture of who the voters of America within the GOP actually support as opposed to who the billionaires support. I hope I hope that's what they do. Now, uh, I want to go to the phones here before I get out of here. Uh, let's see. David, you're going to be up next. David, welcome to the show. David. All right. I don't know what happened to David. Well, I guess we won't go to David. Okay. Never mind. Um, all right. Having said all of that, uh, why don't we step out, take a commercial break? And again, if you're just tuning in, I got my wires crossed. I thought that uh, Governor Kemp was going to be with me today. He's going to be with me on Thursday at 2.30. Um, and we'll talk to him about going to Davos. I also want to talk to him about the um, about the police training facility in Atlanta. I got a lot to talk to the man about. I haven't talked to him in a while on the radio. So we'll take a timeout. When we come back, uh, we'll pivot to more news. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here across the fruited plain. 
The phone number will never mind. Phones are closed now. You can't call in. Joe Biden is expected to end the COVID emergency. Sometime in March, his uh, White House staff is acknowledging that uh, COVID will probably fade away. The virus itself won't fade away. But they will end the COVID emergency. Today, oddly enough, he said uh, the Supreme Court will end the COVID emergency, which isn't the way it works. He's got to. But interestingly enough, they are considering a new public health emergency. Abortion. That's right. Abortion. Uh, According to the Health and Human Services Secretary, Xavier Becerra, uh, there are discussions on a wide range of measures that we can take to try to protect people's rights. There are certain criteria that you look for to be able to declare a public health emergency. That's typically done by scientists and those that are professionals of the fields who will tell us whether we are in a state of emergency. And based on that, I have the ability to make a declaration. There hasn't been a full assessment. So the Biden administration is considering a public health emergency on abortion. Now, if you go to California or New York or Illinois or a number of progressive states, you can get abortion on demand until the kid leaves the hospital, it seems. Here's the problem. If they actually do, this is a trial balloon that is being floated. Uh, they, they're trying to see where, where they get blowback. If it's just conservatives complaining, they'll go for it. But if it's others complaining, uh, they'll reconsider. But here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. This undermines public health emergencies being a thing based on actual public health problems and not politics. If you're in a state that is pro-life and you cross state lines into a state that is pro-abortion, the public health emergency goes away because you move five feet? That undermines the, the supposed rigor of what a public health emergency should or should not be. That undermines the idea that it's a real public health situation, that it's a real public health crisis. We as a nation right now, across the board, Republican, Democrat, moderate, conservative, libertarian, independent, progressive, liberal, there is a crisis of faith in the institutions of our government. There is a deficit of trust. And that crisis exists because more and more people believe the government of the United States is just playing games. It's not serious. It's politicizing everything. And this has spilled over into society itself. What you watch on TV is politicized. Uh, Where you shop is political. Where you worship is political. Where your kids go to school is political. Um, What you drive is political. Where you live is political. Uh, what, What sports teams you support, it's all political. And people just want some basic trust back in government. And when the government of the United States declares a public health emergency because Roe v. Wade has been overturned and nothing else has changed, 
And abortion access in many of these pro-life states was super restricted anyway. Some of them had no abortion clinics at all, and there was no public health emergency needed, and suddenly there is. That's a level of duplicitous politicization of a process that should not have politics involved in it. It is a political decision, and it further erodes the trust of the American people in the processes of government. I know if you are a committed pro-abortion, pro-choice person, you want more expanded, greater access to abortion in the United States. But when there was zero abortion clinics in a state last week or last year, and zero abortion clinics now in the same state, that's not a public health emergency. You know, Christians in this country are pooling resources in order to get kids out of public schools and use their dollars to get kids into private evangelical schools where they can share the gospel and learn classical Christian education. There's a growing movement among Christians. Those of you on the left, why don't you give your charitable dollars to Planned Parenthood to be able to fund the travel costs of people who want an abortion to come to your state. I mean, I couldn't stop you doing that. Why don't you take matters into your own hands instead of having the government deal with this problem, more so having the government politicize the process of declaring public health emergencies. If a public health emergency can be deemed based on the political desire to perform abortions, not over communicable disease or anything like that. We, we were going to further erode the public trust in the healthcare systems of this country. And that's gonna be bad for all of us when we have another COVID virus and no one believes anything anyone says outside of their preferred echo chambers online. It's going to end badly for us if the Democrats go down this road and set precedents they're going to live to regret.